Well, as I said last week, God has me for the next three weeks, last week, today, and next week, talking about relationships. And at first, when he uh, asked me to do this, I thought that I was getting stuff for one sermon, but the more that I thought about it and prayed about it, the more I fully understood that God had a reason, and I still don't know why, but I know that God's intent is for me to speak for three weeks on relationships. And so today's talking about uh, the relationship idea today, or the thought today, is being at peace in our relationships. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, is where I started in this process. I, I was prayerfully asking the Lord to show me the different uh, areas that he wanted. I first started looking at this, um, when I first started doing it, I was thinking about um, Isaac, I mean, excuse me, Esau and, and, and Jacob, and how they had so much turmoil in their relationship. But uh, the more I thought about it, I mean, the more I prayed about it, that the Lord drew me away from that. And brought me more into the New Testament. And so I'll be looking at Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 and then some other verses which we'll look at in a second. But the very first thing that Jesus did in his major sermon was he gave this whole list of blessed bees. And one of them are, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And I always (coughs) ignored that quite honestly, because when I was in Bible college, I have a friend, his name is Kevin, and he said he felt specifically called to be a peacemaker. When we were in Bible college, uh, the whole crew of us that were were processing through together, (coughs) excuse me, as we reached the end of our time in Bible college, you know, you start thinking, well, Lord, what is it that I've been preparing for? What is it that you have for me? And I was really sensing that I was either going to be a, a counselor, a pastoral counselor, or a pastor. I was even thinking a youth ministry, but I'm very old, and it doesn't make sense for me to be a youth minister. You're supposed to be 20-something and not married when you're a youth pastor. Um, but these were things that I was struggling with. But Kevin, my friend, he said he felt specifically called to be a peacemaker. And I, I was wondering, trying to understand what he meant by that. And we talked, and there's actually a ministry called Peacemakers. And, and he wanted to get involved with it. And basically it's being a mediator. And we talked about that last week, being a mediator between you know two people that are in struggle in their relationship with each other. And so I thought, well, you know, I don't have that calling on my life, so this, one, this verse doesn't apply to me. Honestly, and I don't mean to be funny or glib, that's how I, I literally just ignored it. I always kind of read over it and just didn't pay any attention to it. But it says that to be called the children of God, or the peacemakers are called the children of God. Well, then the reverse one would think should be true too. So that if I call myself a child of God, I should be a peacemaker. So the more I thought about it, it's like, well, okay, Lord, if indeed it's not necessarily a calling, a vocation, what role is peacemaking in my life? And as a pastor, of course, I do peacemaking. I mean, I, I meet with people all the time and I help them to reconcile differences or I have to kind of chair meetings, quote unquote, and there may be some discussion and stuff going on and I'm the one that's supposed to make sure that everyone is honored and, and has a voice, to, has a chance to say what they want to say, but at the same time, no one is trampled on during those meetings. And so there is a, a, an element of peacemaking in my role as pastor, but What is it for Christians? What is our role? What is our job? What is it that we have to do? Well, before I became a Christian, 
I absolutely um, loved watching old television. Now, back then it wasn't old television, it was brand new television. But uh, I loved the television show Gomer Pyle. How many of you guys remember, are old enough to remember Gomer Pyle, United States Marine Corps? And I loved Gomer Pyle. And when I was 18, I literally said I had a philosophy of life that was based on Gomer Pyle, and it was this. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And I lived that way. I would trust anybody until they gave me reason to not trust them. And I think that's a healthy way to live. I shouldn't be um, suspicious and cynical. I should be willing to trust anybody, but at the same time not be stupid and get hurt. Or allow someone to hurt me. And that's how I lived my life for a long while, even as a young Christian. And even to this, well, not to this day, because to this day I think I've changed slightly. And the reason is, is because of this, this section of verses. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 41. This is the same um, Sermon on the Mount that Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Matthew 5, 38 through 41 says, And you've heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Don't resist an evildoer, but if anyone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. So if somebody fools me once, with these verses and the understanding of trying to be at peace with people, should I let them fool me again? Should I continue to try to trust them? And that's a difficult thing, because in in my understanding, I am not supposed to... Well, let's put it this way. I can remember being specifically, distinctly told as a young Christian, God doesn't expect you to be a doormat. Have you ever heard a Christian person, older and more richer of you, say that to you? I was told that all the time as a young Christian. Yes, turn the other cheek, but he didn't say what to do after you turned the other cheek. If the person still wants to beat on you, maybe you need to just turn around and defend yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that. God doesn't expect you to be a doormat. And I find conflict in that thought. There's, a, there's a, um, a video that we have, and we had the gentleman who does it here in our church. His name is Kurt Cloninger. Uh, Kurt does a one-man show called Witnesses, and I wanted him to do that show here, but while he was in Alaska, it never happened. We tried a couple times, but it just never worked out, because I selfishly wanted to see him perform it, because that's how I came to know his ministry. But there's this one character that he plays in his one-man show. He plays eight different characters who knew Jesus at various times during Jesus' time on the earth. And in this one character, he plays a person who knew Jesus as a boy. And he, the character who knew Jesus was the only son of a widow. And the widow would never allow her son to do anything that could bring harm to him because... Oh my, good, oh my goodness, I don't want to lose you like I lost your father. 
And so very protective mother, and this kid was always picked on, and he was teased because he was effeminate, and he didn't know how to be a boy. He always just was always kind of soft and gentle. And there's this story that they moved from town to town to town after, and they would live with relatives until the relative would get sick of them, and then her mother would decide it's time to move on to the next relative in another town. And they end up, they move to Nazareth. And the very first day, uh, the young man says, the very first day that I'm in, in, in Sabbath school, uh, I'm picked on, I'm teased, they call me names, and then that's the end of the day, and I'm trying to walk to the house, which happens to be outside of the town, and all of a sudden I sense that there's all these kids around me. And I look, and there is all of these people around me, there's this big bully, and he starts picking on me and calling me names, and they knock me to the ground, and he's literally sitting on top of me and stuffing handfuls of dirt into my mouth, screaming and calling me names and calling me names and beating me. And I've got my eyes closed and I'm just scared to death. And all of a sudden I feel the big bully being pulled off of me. And I open my eyes expecting to see a very large adult. But instead I see a boy about my own size and age. And this boy looks at him, the bully, and says, Hey, if you're going to pick on somebody, you pick on me. And from laying there on the ground, I look up and I see that boy is standing there. And the bully reaches back and he punches the boy, this guy in the nose. And blood starts gushing out of his nose. And from where I'm laying on the ground, I can see that boy's hands are clenched in a fist. But he just stands there. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything. He just stands there. Well, the bully didn't know what to do with that. And so he just kind of walks away, muttering, and his friends just follow him. And soon it's just me and this boy standing there, and finally the boy looks at me, and he reaches down and pulls me up. He says, you okay? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I'm Jesus. He goes, oh, thank you, Jesus, for coming to my rescue. And he looked at me and said, ah, oh, that's okay. It's what I'm here for. And as I, as Bob, was listening to this, and as I've listened to it for years, that speaks volumes to me. I saw him clench his fists, but he just stood there and took it. He didn't fight back. That's not my nature. Bob Sugden is not one who takes it lying down. And it is against my natural response to go the second mile. It is against my natural response to be slapped across the face. I have literally been spit on. And my natural response was to rip that person apart. It wouldn't have worked very well because he was a seven-year-old boy who happened to be my pastor's son. <laughs> but my natural response was to rip that kid's face off of his body and stomp on it. That's how angry I was for the abuse that he was giving me. And I in high school, used to be the guy that would... I literally got into a cop's face once because there was injustice going on and the cop was there participating in this injustice and I literally got in his face. Now, I'm six foot two and, and in high school I was six foot two and 180 something pounds and I got in his face like this. I was like, you think you're big? Come on, take me to jail. Go ahead. Go on. And people had to pull me back. I was not the type a person who would just sit there and take it. And that's where I came up with this idea for me, this philosophy of fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, because it's not going to happen. Yeah, I'll be a good Christian boy until 
the time comes that somebody messes with me or my family and then watch out. And see, that's always been a conflict with me because these stupid words followed the peacemaker thing. Jesus said, don't treat others the way they treat you. Do the right thing. Do over and above what is expected of you as you live in peace, as you are a child of God. So that's one area where I've struggled in my own walk. Now, today, I don't have the philosophy, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on you. I did for years and years and years and years and years. But I have grown in my Christian walk where I don't believe that anymore. I truly believe that it is appropriate and right for me as a Christian to set aside my own rights, to lay aside what I think I deserve to make sure that this person is okay or taken care of. And I think that's appropriate and right, and I encourage you to find find that for yourself as well. I could go into other things which I don't have time today to go into, but if you do want to think about it, take, take a strong and hard look at Romans chapter 14. And even part of Romans 15. Because it talks all about this idea of deferring to the other. And thinking about the other's issues. But I want to share with you another little vignette from my own life. And (coughs) I have to be careful because it's very possible that some of you may know who I'm talking about. And my intent is not to in any way speak about anybody. If I had a way of saying, well this happened 75 years ago and lie to you about it. I would do it, but I don't want to lie, and so I have to just tell you that you may know who I'm talking about, and if you do, keep your mouth shut, okay? (laughs) Years ago, many years ago, there was a situation where someone got mad at me, and as a result, stopped coming to church. And I was bothered by the fact that they had stopped coming to church, But at the same time, when I sought counsel, another counselor said to me, as I've prayed about this situation that we're talking about, Bob, um, I have sensed that the Lord is telling me to tell you it's their issue, not yours. You were not at fault. You didn't do anything wrong. It's their issue. Okay, I'm good with that. And the Lord can prune the Lord as the master gardener can move people around from church to church as he sees fit. Okay, God, I'll just accept that this is your hand, and I, it makes me sad that there's this break in relationship between me and this person, but, you know, I can't make it right. I haven't done anything wrong. The issue, as I'm receiving counsel, is that it's their issue, not mine. So, okay. Well, I was months later at a prayer retreat, I was at Camp Lywa. Camp Lywa has a cabin specifically set aside for pastors or ministers or missionaries. And we're allowed to use it two nights a year for free. So I had gone on a three-day prayer retreat, two nights, and, you know, got there and was spending the night and got there and spent the day and then another night. and, And I was in the middle of this prayer retreat and I was sitting there reading the scriptures and praying and I began to journal. And as I was reading, I was reading Romans chapter 12. And Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
okay. <laughs> and instantly, instantly, as I'm journaling on that particular verse, this face of this person from a few months ago pops into my head. And I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. It's, it's, it says, as it's possible, as much as it depends on me, live at peace. I didn't do anything wrong. And I don't know how to fix this. And I can't make them change their mind. What am I supposed to do? And the Lord said to me, get up right now and drive to their house. Okay. So I literally dropped my pencil, got in my car, and drove out into the Two Rivers area. And I sat at the edge of their property. Because, you know, Two Rivers, you don't go into my property unless you get permission. (laughs) So I literally sat at the edge of their property. And I was like, okay, God, now what do I do? And the Lord said, just wait. Okay. So I just waited. And I was waiting almost five minutes just sitting there trying to discern what is it that you want from me, God? I mean, you said to come to their property. I did. And now I'm just sitting here? And it wasn't two to three minutes after the Lord said, just sit, that the person drove up. They had been in town. That's why there wasn't a car in the driveway. That's why there weren't any lights that I could see. And so they got out of their vehicle And I got up out of my vehicle and they said, what are you doing here? And I said, God told me that I needed to come and make peace with you. And the person said to me, not today. I can't do this. Not unless there's a witness. Okay. Now, my little stuff started to rile up here. Who do you think you are telling me there has to be a witness? What do you think I'm going to be, a liar? I mean, all of this is starting to, to well up inside of me. And the person said, it has to be thus and such, and thus and such, and thus and such. And the decision was that it would be this person. And again, I'm not going to tell you who, but it was somebody from this community wanted somebody from this community that we both knew to be a mediator between the two of us. And so I said, well, do you want me to contact that person? or do you, no, I'll contact them and I'll schedule a time and we'll let you know. Okay. And I just smiled and got back in my car and drove away going, okay. <laughs> well, a little bit later on in Romans is this verse. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. And you see, it took almost two weeks for the three of us to be able to get together and do this face-to-face thing. And literally, the third person acted more like just an extra set of ears because they didn't say a whole lot of anything. It was just between me and the other person. And the Lord told me, you keep your mouth shut. You just listen. Okay? And as I was just listening and not saying anything... The person looked at me and said, well, you're not responding to anything I'm saying. And I said, because I feel like God told me to just be quiet and listen. Well, if you're not going to say anything, then this is not a conversation. We might as well just end it now. Okay. So I promise I'll respond now. And I'm like, God, what do I say? And so we began talking. And I tried very hard not to be defensive. 
I tried very hard to hear without interruption. I tried very hard to respond in an appropriate and helpful way using the idea of peace and mutual upbuilding. Don't tear that person down and don't let myself get torn down. And after a good 30 to 40 minutes, we finally came to some resolution. And the person did start attending our church again for a period of time, and then they have since moved on. But that was an incredibly, incredibly growing time for Bob, not only as a pastor, but as a Christian. Because I didn't do anything wrong. But I had somebody that was really angry with me and felt harmed by me. And I felt God telling me to reach out to them. But they weren't willing or able to just meet with me. There had to be a third person which offended me, but I had to go, okay. Because as much as it's possible for me, regardless of what this other person's doing, I have to do all that I can to make peace. And so I couldn't put up walls and go, well, I'm not going to, that's ridiculous, that's offensive to me. I had to just go with the flow of this. And at the same time, this section, Romans 14, 19, I have to pursue peace, yes, but also mutual upbuilding. What is, what is appropriate, what is right for both, for this, this to resolve in a healthy way, so that I don't feel like I'm being stopped on, just because I have to be a good little boy and not say anything, because heaven forbid I should offend him again. See the balance that I'm trying to... I mean, I'm literally trying to walk this tightrope of I want to do what's right and appropriate, but at the same time, I don't want to just let him go... And I just go, yes, you're right, you're right, you're right. Because I wasn't doing anything wrong in the first place. I had It was his issue. So it was an interesting balancing act for me. See, I was also growing in this not being Gomer Pyle. Because I didn't want to be defensive... I didn't want to fight back, but at the same time, I wanted to be honored in the same way that I was trying to honor. It was an interesting dynamic for me. And it it worked out, like I said. The end result was there was some peace. It's It's not that we're forever friends, and I don't think we will ever be forever friends, but the, but the, there's no longer the, when I see them in town. You know what I'm talking about? The, uh, the feeling of, I don't want to look at the me, I don't want to talk to him. I look the other way because there's this thing between us. It's no longer there. Now I can see that person and there's no worry, there's no guilt, there's no anything. Conversations take place. Now we're not, like I said, we're not best buddies, but we're able to be polite with each other and kind with each other and ask about each other and how things are going and feel genuinely talked to and listened to. So I think it's a healthy thing. Now, let me tell you another story out of my past. I was um, a military member for 21 years, and during the years 1987 until 1990, I was stationed at Keesler Air Force Base. And one of my roles was that I was the facility manager for a very large facility. It was three stories tall. It had, I don't even know how many different agencies who were all housed in this very large three-story building. And one of my roles as facility manager was to make sure that the building was cleaned and maintained, not just janitorial stuff, because that was handled by the contractor, but we had to sweep 
uh, the leaves, rake the leaves or sweep the, 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 the dirt off the sidewalks or shovel the snow off the sidewalks, whatever the case may be. We had to do policing, which means you pick up the trash around the curbs and all that stuff and just get the stuff looking nice on the outside in addition to blah, 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 washing windows or washing doors or whatever. And so that I was responsible to make sure it happened, but I didn't have to physically do the labor. There was a whole crew of people who were assigned to do it. Each agency had at least one or two people that were assigned to me once, I mean one week out of the year, and the end result was they would report to me in the morning on, at 7 o'clock in the morning on Monday, and I'd say, these are your assignments for the morning, and when you're done with that, you can return back to your duty station, and every day, Monday through Friday, these two from that agency would come to my office, and I'd give them their day's assignment, they'd do their work, then they'd go back to their office. The next week would be a different two, the next week would be a different two. And like I said, it could be anything. It could be washing the doors, washing the windows, cleaning up this, doing that. Well, there was one young man who had been in the Middle East during a violent uprising. I don't remember if you have ever heard of or remember the incident of the bombing of the Kobar Towers in the Middle East. I believe it was in um, Kuwait. I can't remember exactly where the location was. This young man was there, was injured, had multiple surgeries, was on a long period of recovery from his, his injuries, and then finally returned to duty. Well, returned to duty means you're healthy, you're good, you go back to full duty. If you don't go back to full duty, then they keep you on partial duty. But this guy was put back to full duty, which means when his boss said to him, you're one of the detail people for this week, and then he reported to me, then I could tell him to do anything I needed him to do without any hindrance because he was back to full duty. Okay? There is a term in the military called malingering. Malingering means you fake illness to get out of work. Okay? This young man came to me on the second day, and I said, I need you to take this rake and go out and rake the leaves out front. Sergeant Sugden, I can't do that. When I rake, it really hurts my injuries, and I'm still struggling with pain. I can't do that. Airman, I've just told you what your duties are for the day. You need to go out and rake the leaves. Sergeant Sugden, I told you, I can't rake the leaves. It hurts. I'm still having pain from my surgeries. Airman, you have been returned to full duty. This is your assignment for the day. Do you want me to report you for malingering? No, Sergeant Sugden. Then get out there and do what I told you to do and stop making excuses. Now, I was fully in my rights to say everything that I said to him in exactly the tone that I said. There was nothing inappropriate. There was nothing belittling. The man was given an assignment. He was refusing to do the assignment. I was a senior NCO, and it was my responsibility to make sure the work was done. And he had been assigned to me for that day, and he was refusing to do it because he hurt. Well, tough. And I finally said to him, if you're that sick and you, you can't do your work, then you need to get back over to the doctor and get the doctor to say it and pull you off of full duty. Otherwise, get out there. Okay? End of discussion. He went out. He raked the leaves. The rest of the week he did the work. He never said another word to me. And that was the end of it. Two or three months later, a friend of mine from my church, who also happens to be a neighbor to this airman, says, I invited Joe to our revival services and he refuses to come. 
Because you go to my church. What? He refuses to come to our church and come to revival services because you come to our church. And he said, I will never darken the door of any church that welcomes that man. And I had to pray and say, Lord, what in the world have I done to this guy that could cause him to hate me so much that he would turn away from you? And the only interaction I could find was that episode. And as I, as I prayed about it, this is one of the verses that, that play into it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see... I am a Christian who says I believe in living holiness as a lifestyle. Holiness means, just like I showed the kids this morning, I no longer grip onto it, I let it go. All of it, everything. God, you have my whole life, everything. If you ask of me anything, it's yours, God. I no longer hold on to it, I give it to you because I want the peace of God in my life. And this idea that I would have to give up something in order to have peace played into this relationship with this guy because when I asked my friend why because I said I've thought about it. I can't he said well the only th what he told me was you were really mean to him when he was still recovering from his surgeries and I had to go to that guy privately not as Sergeant Sugden but as Bob Sugden I went over to his house and I said I know you don't want to see me and, and if you want to shut the door in front of me that's fine but I need to say something to you. I said, I owe you an apology. I said, I was in my rights as an NCO. I was. I didn't do anything wrong. But as a Christian, I should have had much more compassion on you. And I should have been willing to listen when you said you were hurting. And I should have pulled back instead of pulling rank. And I want to apologize to you for that. Please forgive me. And he, he begrudgingly said, it's okay, it's okay. And he eventually did start coming to our church. And I don't know the end result if he ever came to know the Lord. But the thing for me was that I learned, that I got, that I took with me and still carry to this day was, what would have happened if I didn't go back and apologize? And this guy used me as his excuse for never going to church, ever. And never willingly giving his life to Jesus. And what if he ended up in hell for all of eternity because of me? And that's a scary thought. And for me, sucking it up a little bit and taking some of my pride and my own, I have every right to say this, but setting that aside to do what is right and appropriate to make nice with this guy and to be at peace with this guy, Laying aside my own stuff, that's what I say I want to live when I say I want to be a Christian who believes and lives holiness. And so I had to do that for him. I still to this day don't think I did anything wrong, really. I didn't. But from his side, I harmed him greatly. And I had to make that right. You see, Romans, again, chapter 15, says... 
May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God grant you to live in harmony with one another. If I want to be in right relationship with God, I have to be willing to give up my own stuff, my own rights, my own, I'm, on, I'm in the right in this. And allow the Holy Spirit to go work in and through me or around me or whatever it needs to be so that together, the one that I'm needing to be in right relationship with can together bring glory to God. I I don't want to restate all of the stuff that we've talked about, but in each of the scenarios that I've shared with you this morning, if I had dug my heels in and said, no, no, I'm not wrong in any of this, I would have harmed this happening where mutually we could be together bringing glory to God, arm in arm. Shoulder to shoulder, working for the kingdom. And so the thing that I want us to understand this morning is that we are commanded, first of all, to be peacemakers. And second, that we are commanded to set aside our own stuff. But third, and this is the most important thing, we need to recognize and understand that it is God himself who brings about this peace. It is not just our efforts and doing the right thing and being right Because if it's all in our efforts, then how come there's so much war and horror in the world today? See, it is not our nature to give up our stuff. It is normal human nature to defend, to put up the barriers and the shields and say, No, you're not going to take me up. You're not going to fool me. You're not going to mess with me. You're not going to slap me three times. And if we don't Learn through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life to let go, we will never experience peace, not only between us and God or between people, because it's always about me. In order to have true peace, it has to come through the power of God living through me. The fruit of the Spirit, that's what Galatians chapter 5, 22-25 talks about. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things come from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And those of us who belong to Christ, it says, we have crucified the flesh, its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, we will then be guided by the Spirit. And so what I'm saying to us this morning is, if you are finding yourself in a situation where Someone is against you, or you are against someone else, and there's not a good relationship. It's not just enough for you to say, well, I'm going to make it right. You literally need to get on your face before God, and first you need to say, God, where in this am I in rebellion against you? Where in this do I need to let go of my own stuff? and allow your Holy Spirit to bring peace and healing to me, so that when I'm sitting in the room trying to make nice with this person who's hostile against me, they don't push the wrong button, and I get into a further fight with them. 
Because remember that situation where there had to be the third person? I could have responded wrongly in all of that 30 to 40 minutes and ruined anything that the Holy Spirit was trying to accomplish. But because I was willing to allow the Holy Spirit to help me to set aside my stuff and not let my defenses continue to be up, but literally just say, God, whatever, let him hit me, let him hit me, let him hit me, let him hit me, it doesn't make any difference, it hurts, but let him hit me. In doing that, healing and reconciliation could take place. But it literally meant letting down my defenses, letting go of what I was holding on to, even though I was right, and letting it go so that peace could come, so that healing in relationship could come, so that ultimately God could be glorified. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't know if any of this means anything to you. But if it does, if God is already pointing at you and saying, that situation, you and I need to talk. What I encourage you to do this week is to get on your face before God and say to him, show me, show me where I'm at fault. Show me where I'm holding on and not letting go. Give me your power, your strength, your grace to let it go. And then finally, make it right between you and this person. Whether they're right with God or not, whether they ever come to know Jesus or not, you have to make sure from your side, as much as it's possible, be at peace with all people. The final thing for today is the questions for further discussion, and this we'll be talking about tonight in our, uh, in our community group meeting. Both Jesus and the Apostle Paul instructed Christians to judge and confront sinners. And I can show you the verses later. How does that reconcile with this command to live peaceably with all people? And so, if you're not going to be at community group tonight, take this home and think about it. You want to do a Bible study this week. But otherwise, I think we're good. And it's time for us to spend some time with the Lord and take communion.